This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today my guest is Tony Coleman. Tony has an arguably unrivaled resume full of legendary blues and soul artists, including B.B. King, Bobby Blue Bland, Buddy Guy, Albert Collins, Freddie King, Otis Clay, and many, many more. Over the years, he's been based in Chicago, Memphis, and Texas, giving him a unique perspective on the regional differences in artists' approach to the music and what makes the drumming styles in each distinct. You can subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We would also appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. So this was a great talk I had with Tony, and I want to thank Rod Bland for helping make it happen. I interviewed Rod back on episode 153. He is the son of Bobby Blue Bland, the godson of B.B. King, and a protege of Tony Coleman. And he put us in touch so that I could interview Tony. So thank you, Rod. In addition to talking about his own career, Tony gives us a lot of history and musicology about blues, soul, and much more. He's full of stories and lessons to impart, and he's a one-man soundtrack for all of them. He's also got some opinions about some stuff. You may not agree with some of them, but they all come from a lifetime of experience on the ground and out in the world with legends of the tradition. So to me, that definitely makes him worth listening to. So let's get to it with Tony Coleman. How have you been over this time? How's your health? How's your spirit? How's your playing? What's going on? I'm I'm good. My spirit's good. I mean, I'm I'm so accustomed to being on tour, airports, airplanes, tour buses and venues and hotels and you know, and it's good to be home and chill, you know. Actually, I you know, I'm I'm getting healthier. I've been I have a personal trainer 3 days a week. I'm aware of my nutrition taking care of my body and just trying to avoid COVID and uh, just do what needs to be done until they figure this thing out. You yeah. Know, because uh, it's no point in getting all, you know, stressed out about it. Yeah. yeah. Can't do anything about it. I don't run nothing. And it sounds like you've been, I only uh, run, sorry, what? I, I run me. That's it. <laughs> That's the only running you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it sounds like you you've had the chance to like, you know, be kinder to your body in a way that touring does not always allow you to be. Well, unless you're that type of person, you know, that you're really into that and I'm and I'm and I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm you know, like you know, some people are like really really into their health and uh, doing all that stuff in there zoning into their you know awareness of everything i'm like whatever give me that chicken over there (laughs) yeah yeah i've i've found (laughs) that like whatever whatever lifestyle you're leading at home is going to translate to tour like 
If exercising and eating right is really important to you at home, then you'll find a way to make it happen on tour. If you like to party at home, you will party on tour. Um, yeah, I never, I never been a party person, drinker, smoker, snorter. <laughs> you know, I've never, I've always, I've been around a lot of that. Yeah. And when I was growing up, the older guys that were <laughs> passing George in front of me was like, "You'll ever see you smoking this shit? I'll kick your ass." <laughs> They'd be drinking. If I ever see you drinking, I'll fuck you up. Uh, right, you know? right. So I never. One thing about the music business, there's always somebody that wants to get into the festivities of uh, all your unnecessary needs. You yep, know? for sure, for sure. And I just never, I never been that that one. I'm not, I'm not that guy. You know? Well, yeah, I think it, you know with. Uh, as you're coming up, like if if you have that influence in your life you'll go one of two ways. Like you will avoid it completely or you'll just go all the way down that road. Um, whether well, you know, I've seen it destroy. Yeah. I've seen it destroy so many great people and friends and associates and it's not a, it's not nice, you know? Right. Right. Um, so let's, let's just get to it, man. Like you, you are best known for playing with, uh, BB King and Bobby Blue Bland. Um, but, yes. but, your resume is way longer than that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into BB. Oh, yeah. We'll get into BB. We'll get into Bobby. But first, I, I want to hear about some of the artists you've played with over the years who are, are lesser known, but uh, who you feel are, are just as important to uh, the blues canon or just as important to your own development as a drummer. Well, I mean, I don't have this in front of me, but here's here's the thing before i answer the question that the way you just asked it anybody i play with no matter what level is important i think they're all valid mm -hmm. uh the, the only thing that makes people famous is being famous but right. <laughs> musically speaking everybody's got some talent and everybody's good or i wouldn't play with them and i i because i try to be the best that the most talented cat that i can possibly be i focus on that like i'm like my life depends on it to mm -hmm. be the best but everybody i work with from from uh albert collins uh, uh, uh johnny taylor little milton albert king Ada james coco taylor katie webster uh charlie muscle white i mean just otis clay in the beginning right Otis Clay was the first was the first guy that that got me out there with the big big names in soul and blues, but uh, Otis was amazing, and uh, uh, he was a good guy to start with because he was very humble. But but as musicians, I mean, working with a singer like Otis, he was like real humble guy and, and very talented and, and kind of non-assuming mm -hmm. but as musicians we, we, we always challenge each other like yeah what's going on man good to see you man hey Zach what's happening yeah what what time you guys you, you guys go on oh yeah we go on blah blah oh yeah okay you know we gonna kick y'all's ass <laughs> <laughs> we always did it it was it was all in fun but it was serious at the same time like right. we're gonna try we're going to try to play better than them. And, 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 and that was the, the way we approached it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was always just 
go out there and do the best show you got because you only got one time to shine, you know. Right, right. Um, and as far like as far as Otis Clay being your first uh, major gig, um, were there? Were there lessons you you took from from him or from your time on that gig? Um, you know, like, we, we all we all like learn these lessons for the first time, kind of earlier in our career. You know, whether they're musical or having to do with the business or the nuts and bolts of touring. Like, what are what are some of the sort of seminal experiences you had with him early on that uh, that kind of still bear on your on your career today? Well, I already had it when I joined Otis, I, but Otis was the first prof- professional uh, guy that, well, not I, I won't say professional, the first guy that had uh, some popularity who mm-hmm. had a record out and, and people knew pretty, pretty well-known artists. But the first bands I ever played with growing up, it was the same attitude. And that, and I just, kept that with me from my from my beginnings to Otis so I was ready for Otis but Otis was very like everybody else just was trying to be a professional Otis was very professional about his music and you know when we get on stage it wasn't necessary it was it may have been rehearsed but we based the gig on the room we're playing at and we might so you always have to watch the leader and we had signals and things we have to do to break the music down or, or extend it, jam it out a little bit, or it's just based on the room. You know, every room is different. So you always have to keep your eyes and ears open to watch and make sure everybody's doing, because it's going to be a lot of impromptu stuff coming up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was, so I had that attitude with Otis, but it was good to be with someone that was, that had a record deal and had some some records out that it, and everybody knew who he was, you know, the popular thing. Right. On on that scale. Right. On that scale, not a local guy, you know. Right. Um, and he was in Chicago. And so I moved to Chicago from Kissimmee, Florida, from from where I grew up after I got out of the military. And uh, Otis Clay, uh, when I moved to Chicago, he was the first cat that I joined up. And from there the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. As far as like being in the moment that way, um, that's something that I kind of had to learn on the job because as someone who like went to college, went to music school, you know, I was just married to reading music. You know, if it wasn't on the chart, it did not enter my atmosphere. (laughs) Um, but was that, was that something that, that came naturally to you? I mean, what was your, what was your schooling, uh, in, in terms of drumming, like before you had that gig or gigs like that? I don't, I don't read music. I've, I never had any schooling and drumming. I just always had the natural talent and I, I, I uh, have a good, I'm, I have a pretty good memory. I'm for good photographic memory, so to speak, mm-hmm. but I could always drum naturally. I could hear things and play and, that's the way I've always been in my career. But the schooling was we rehearsed the songs and we rehearsed our show. So, you know, for us, if you once you learn the song, that's like having baking a cake. Okay. You you bake the cake. Here's the cake. Now let's make let's put some icing on it. Let's put some little designs on it. Beep, 
you know, you design it, how you're going to do your show. Right. So I'm gonna when I turn around, you know, I'm gonna, you're going to hit the accents, the horns going then you go into the next song like you know we always had arrangements of the show not necessarily of course the the songs were arranged right but we had a show arranged to perform it was about the performance it wasn't just about playing the music it had to be because in black culture black black culture was about show Mm-hmm. Showtime. Yeah. Uh, it's not like country, like, here's a song I wrote. You know, I was driving down into the backwoods one day and I looked across the pasture and I saw a deer jump over the fence. And uh, <laughs> it's not like that. Right. That's you a know, story. That's, that's a storytelling kind of genre. Yeah. Know, that's like, like, you know, you sit and you listen to the guy sing a song. I was talking to Zach on the Zoom today. <laughs> this is a and hit Zach already. Me, you know, you tell the story like that. And uh, go, oh, that was a nice song. Clap your hands. No, our whole thing in black culture was if you're performing, you're performing. Yeah. You have to have a show because for black culture, and people don't know this today, that that's, that's old school, like, make the people you're there to make it to enhance the people's emotions to forget everything except we're having a good time yep yep so in order to do that you got to be on top of your game because the next band is going to come if if you do something they're going to out try to outdo that right right so that that's the that's the old school training for performing and being the best you can be on your instrument but you have to you have to play together you got to play together. You got to play the music to the best of your ability. And you still got to do the show part, too. Right. I like what you said about, like, arranging the show in addition to arranging the music. Um, right. Do you feel Do you feel that that's kind of a lost art? Or do you feel that there are some uh, younger artists who are still uh, given, given the, you know, a, the arrangement of the show uh, its due? I, uh, there's a few, but that's not, that's not important today. Now, now it's about a bunch of what I consider nonsense where you got 50 people on stage jumping around (laughs) and you got the band is like, not that important. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, what a great production. I went to the show, the production, you know, I mean, like when you go to a concert and you see. 50 trucks out in the stadium, you know, a band, you know, 15 trucks and it's got costume changes and production. And the band is like playing to tracks. Right. And they have to play exactly the same. (laughs) You know, that's kind of like for me personally, that's gosh, that's, that's really not real. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, it's it's like the extreme of what you're talking about, right? It's like a hyper, <laughs> it's a hyper arranged show. And as you were describing that, I, I thought of uh, when I saw uh, Katy Perry a few years ago, a good friend of mine uh, is, is in Katy, Katy Perry's touring band. And I saw a show here in Atlanta and you're, you're right. Like it didn't feel like a band. It didn't feel like a music show. It felt more like Cirque du Soleil. 
and it was incredible. Exactly. Like it was, it was just over the top, amazing, mind blowing. But it didn't really feel like a band. It didn't feel like a music no, show. Uh, you know, and then the musicians, the musicians aren't as important as the as the the tracks. Right. Right. You know, it's like the musicians are just up there to accompany the production. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so today those type of things don't really impress me. Of course, when I see somebody levitate off the stage and they fly them around the arena and <laughs> turn the drum kit upside down and, <laughs> and they got the tracks playing, you know, damn well, the guy's not making all that noise upside down, you know, right. Right. Whatever. But I mean, to, you know, that's okay. But I'm old school. I like music. I like different types of music and different types of musicians and different types of drumming and you can actually hear the person speed up, slow it down a little bit. It's natural. I don't like this perfection, perfect. You know, I hear guys going, man, I got the, the 920.4, you know, drum, snare drum, and it's made out of maple ply, has a dazzle, 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 wood. And, you know, <laughs> it's like, man, and this snare calls me, you know, like three grand and blah, blah. And then I just get a serious snare drum and go, pow, and have a good time. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I think I'm, I'm not. A, I I think the, both the gear and the production uh, has gotten to a place where it's often overthought and over engineered, um, and I, uh, I I really resonate with what you said about like I like music, I like musicians, um, and yeah. a lot of a lot of artists are uh, taking the emphasis off of those things and onto you know, other aspects of show business, other aspects of production. Yeah. And at 65 now I'm, I'm the age now that the older guys I was with when I was uh, 30 years younger than them. And when I, when I was coming up, if you go see a band, like any band, a rock, blues, funk, soul, country, whoever, you 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 used to be able to look at the album cover and see all of the musicians and and you'd be at home looking at the album listening to their music and you knew who the musicians were mm-hmm. then when you go to the concert and then you see them it would be like oh there he is right there <laughs> right right and then when you hear them play you go oh yeah that's that's so and so and so that's that's the way he plays you know, i mean I, I you know i could drop names i mean like you you would know who Bernard Purdy was when you hear him play. Uh, you, if you hear Stuart Copeland play with the Police, you know that's Stuart Copeland. Yeah. You know if you hear if you hear uh, uh, James Brown, Jabbo Starks, and those guys, you go, oh, that's Jabbo with James Brown. You know if you hear Charlie Watts, oh yeah, that's Charlie Watts. And everybody had their own sound and their own their own way to play. But now you know you got triggering i can get your sample and i got the triggers and i'm gonna sound it's like man okay today's today's music to me is like the difference between from where i come from and compared to today a lot of the music and see i got to even think about what i'm gonna say because you gotta be politically correct because you're gonna piss people off but i don't give a damn i'm just gonna say it but today's music compared to when i was growing up is like the difference between making love to the, to your, to your, your, your uh, lover and she, and you and her make love 
or you go masturbate. <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong because I mean, like more, you, now more you, than ever, you, now more than ever, a single person in a room has the ability to create an entire song, right? So if you're gonna if you're gonna satis- satisfy yourself, uh, uh, masturbate like the guy did on CNN the other day was a Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you're only satisfying one person. <laughs> but see, if you're making love, now you got to satisfy somebody else. I, that, that maybe that's not a good analogy. That's okay. a great analogy. That's a great analogy. But I mean, because part of what so makes music, music great, part of what makes music great is is that it's a team sport, right? I mean, it doesn't exactly. it doesn't have to be a team sport. You know, yeah. one one person so, can play a single instrument and make music by themselves. Um, whether it's you know old school analog or digital or whatever. But I, I yeah. think, you know, you and I are on the same page about like what we love about music is that it's with other yeah. people. It's for other people. Yeah, I, I'm playing, you know, the, the, I'll just say the difference between jazz, heavy jazz musicians and soul and rock and roll players and country players. Uh, we're here to make you feel good. We're not here to be an exhibitionist to make my, ourselves feel good. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to look. Let me show you how I can play 50 snare beats in a second. <laughs> look at that. And and the person is just, oh, that's exhibitionist. That's like going to see the Blue Angels or something. Right, you know? right. It's like and as opposed, Yeah, I'd rather just, you know, like be feeling good, watching somebody do it naturally and not trying to overdo it. Yeah. So... That's that's the that's the premise for me. Make the audience feel good, and be, and give them who you are, and be able to identify with you based on yeah he plays like that and this that and blah 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 yeah I know that ingredient. After. Otis Clay, uh, who were some of the other Chicago-based artists that you played with? Uh, Buddy Guy, Junior Wells, James Cotton, um, a lot of blues, a lot of blues people, and uh, just a lot of the blues, the local blues talent, mm-hmm. and a couple of soul bands occasionally, you know, um, playing on. Sh- different shows uh they would just need a drummer or whatever and call you but for me personally i hated blues i didn't want to be playing the blues really yeah why is that because i was a young black man and the blues to me represent a bunch of scared black people afraid of white people and they was like country people that were, in my opinion, I thought they were just, you know, a bunch of like old black people that are from the country that weren't very free to be who they wanted to be kind of thing. Uh, like old, old harmonica guy with his teeth out or drinking a bottle of whiskey. As B.B. King told me one time, when you say blues, they expect it to be a guy with his hat turned to the east and a jug of whiskey to the west, you know. <laughs> and then he said most of them, you know, he got working in the fields with some overalls on, on the porch, you know, came out the field. Yes, a ball bag, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, and to me, that was like insulting to me. But 
the music I grew up around in Kissimmee, Florida. I heard the music and uh but then the old blues players, they would also get what they call dressed to the nines. They dress up really sharp, have like they're going to church. Mm-hmm. But but still the music was like my baby don't stand no fucking my bed. You know, and I'm like a young man. I'm like, I don't want to hear that shit. Right. You know, so, our market. <laughs> and then when I heard James Brown, say it loud. I'm blocking I'm proud. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. You know, I you, hear Sam and Dave. I'm a soul man. Da, da, da. You know, so I, I, I never thought soul. about that. Like, do you do you feel like soul music and soul artists, like the ones you just mentioned, were um, in some way uh, sort of a, a, a counter to the the blues image or the blues stereotype that you described? Yeah, because you know those people. You know, we had to progress. And 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 the blues. The reason the blues is a feeling because to be a blues musician, um, you were you were being denied humanity. Mm-hmm. So so the best way to get to get rid, you know. And this is what I say. This is this is mine. This is Tony Coleman. The antidote to having the blues is listening to the blues. <laughs> right, right. See. So, like, they go, yeah, the blues, you know, people make jokes about the blues. The blues is the roots of life. The blues is a feeling. The blues is about how you, your emotions, about what you're going through. The blues is, is as black people, was was mad and suffering. And if they didn't sing and dance and play, they'd kill somebody. Hmm. It was an outlet. Right. So you had to sing, sing your misery out so you wouldn't carry it and then end up wanting to shoot somebody the way, you know, black people was treated. But... A lot of white people in America, they see blues music and they might like the music, but they don't they forget the culture, where it came from. Right. That's what I see happening a lot. Like the blues drumming and stuff, you know, is not played uh, the way the way we played it based on our culture. It's mm-hmm. kind of like leaving out the main ingredients. But I didn't like blues music because of those things I said. But then and I but the, but then I got. Then it changed. BB made me change my attitude. BB King made me change my attitude. How so? Well, BB, we BB is from Mississippi, of course, and BB grew up where he saw black people get lynched and, and castrated and shot, and you know, white people. You walk on the sidewalk, you see a white man come, you got to get off the sidewalk, never look him in the face, mm-hmm. and uh, you know to be treated like that and growing up with that, you know, he's, he was basically afraid of white people. And, uh, but, but he used to come down to Mississippi every summer and July, he would have two weeks where mega Evers, Charles Evers brother, mega Evers who got killed mm-hmm. civil rights leader in Mississippi. Yeah. So, so his brother and BB, they were all friends. BB would come down there and play for the people in Mississippi for free do free concerts for people that couldn't afford to see him down in the, you know, out in the fields. And, and, uh, so one day we were, we go out there and we have to play in the Delta, no hotels. And, you know, we got to drive for two hours, three hours to get to where he was playing. And then we, we have to stay on the bus and then drive back, you know, to wherever. And then when we get there, the building's leaning down, it's got cobwebs in there. It's got like dirt, 
floor, like grass is growing through the stage <laughs> floor. You know, look like a big rat or some kind of animal just walked across, you know. And and uh it was building was leaning like it's gonna have to fall down. And I was making fun of the building on the bus as we got dressed and BB was on the bus. We had one bus at that time. And so I was making fun of the place. Mm-hmm. Wow, look at this place, man. This place look like it's gonna fall. Ha ha ha. And I'm laughing and everybody was I'm entertaining everybody. And BB's listening to me. And then as everybody got ready to leave to go in to start playing, BB stopped me and said, Tony Cole, man, have a seat, son. I'd I'd like to talk to you. (laughs) So you don't want to be here, huh? I said, said, well, I mean, this is kind of weird. He's like, what's weird about it? Because uh, you don't have a hotel and things? Well, I'm, I'm doing it for free, but I'm still paying you guys. And you're making fun of these people, son. Well, when you make fun of these people, you're making fun of me because this is where I'm from. This is where I grew up. And uh, we played Carnegie Hall. We've played around the world. And uh, we play nice places. And uh, don't you think these people deserve a show, too? Now, if you don't want to play, you know, don't just you can stay on the bus. We'll figure it out. We'll find somebody. <laughs> You know, this is this is your culture, son. This is this is black people's music. You're black, aren't you? You look black to me. <laughs> you should not make fun of your culture, son. But uh, if you don't want to play, let me know. Then I was like, damn, I feel like an ass. <laughs> and that changed my attitude right there. Yeah, I would imagine so. So, like. You were you were already playing with BB, um, and and you had already kind of amassed um, you know a resume of uh, a lot of great blues artists. Um, and, but you mentioned that when you first got to Chicago, like you didn't want to be playing the blues. You didn't want you didn't like the blues. Um, so no. so what was the journey of like between you know between being a young man in Chicago not wanting to play the blues and being as you know later on in your career playing with you know the greatest blues act of all time um but still having some of the young man attitude towards the blues that you did how did you get from from a to b well i wanted to be you know as like i was like 20 23 24 working with bb king who was like 54 or something he was 30 years older than me my senior but I wanted to be with Earth, Wind, and Fire, or <laughs> Pearl Funkadelic, or James Brown, uh, or Rufus and Shaka Khan, or uh, Sheik, or right. Freak Out. You know, you know, I want to be. With, I want cool people. What I thought was hip, my my kind of thing. I didn't want to be with guys wearing suits and playing the blues. You know, I didn't want. And 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 then when BB gave me that speech. And at that particular time, BB was progressing to bigger audiences. So there would be festivals. There started to be big festivals because when we were playing, this is what you call the Chitlin Circuit, where you play for black folks. And then everybody know the history of the Chitlin Circuit. Do you know what that is? Yes. Okay, well, for those who might be listening that don't know, that was black people had chitlins, they cooked chitlins and they fried fish and, you know, you can get your food dinners and, you know, soul food and uh, you play there. But then when the sponsors start saying, 
we need to, you know, a lot of white people were afraid to come into the the hood area where the blues was or to that because they were afraid, which the, the smart white folks that like the Rolling Stones and stuff would come and hang out at Teresa's Lounge in Chicago where that'd be like, yeah, this is cool. This is the real deal. This is what we grew up for. We're right in the middle of it. Yeah. yeah. And then they realize that, wow, these people are so you know, inclusive. It's not exclusive. They're like, come on in. Yeah, have a good time. It'd still be some cutting and shooting, but, you know, you'd be protected. Right. You know? <laughs> but, but then the festival's like, so what we need to do is let's promote blues, and now we can do blues festivals, and we can charge, instead of a person pay, paying $10, now we can charge $45. So a lot of black people couldn't afford to pay those kind of prices, so the black people that really like the blues was like, nah, I can't afford that. Mm -hmm. And then the blues festival started becoming people. When you say blues will say jazz. Oh, you're, you're jazz. No, no, no. Blues. Right. Mostly white people would say that. Yeah. Oh, you play jazz. No, 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 no. We play blue. No, listen, blues. <laughs> it's not thing well i see you got jazz over there and yeah but see blues is everything it's jazz it's soul it's gospel that comes from gospel it's rock and roll it's blues is uh the, the main ingredient of everything in american music right hillbilly is white man's blues from the hillbillies playing you know picking and all that but anyway uh now we're playing festivals now and now there's bands like can he and uh, Johnny Winter and uh, the White Rock blues players. Mm -hmm. I'm playing with Albert King, BB King, Bobby Blue Bland, and John Lee Hooker and Muddy Waters and these people, and we play the blues with our main ingredients of what we know the blues to be. But the white guys are rocking it out now. Mm -hmm. I'm saying they take the soul. They've taken the soulfulness out the church. But they're doing their interpretation of which is louder, turn the amps up loud, and play faster. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's like for 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 those of us like me, the original people, we're like that sounds like shit, but it's okay. <laughs> right, they're doing but their I thing. Guess, it's not my thing. Yeah, they're doing their thing. You know, but 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 then my attitude was like, well, I'm gonna show them how it's really done, the mm. way we do it. Right, this is our culture. So I started taking pride in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So th that's when things because, you know, I'm, I mean, like, it's just, it's, you know, once you learn a craft, the right way to do it. And then when people take the ingredients out and they play to the masses, I mean, like, I always use food analogies about music. I, I give an example, like if somebody overseas came Say, hey, Zach, uh, we're you got some people from Japan or something, and Zach, they want to go to a Mexican restaurant. They want to have some Mexican food. Can you take them to a Mexican restaurant? You said, oh, I know a great place. I'm going to take them to Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what? This is Mexican food? Right. You see what I'm saying? You understand? Yeah, so, yeah. Like, hey, man, I want some Italian food. Yeah, I got Oliver in a garden, you know? <laughs> All the garden. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go to a Italiano restaurant. Right. I mean, it bear, I, I, I see exactly what you're saying. Like, it bears some resemblance to the original 
but what makes it great is kind of no longer in there and it's become a, a, a more, um, a more widely marketable, a more consumable, uh, thing for yes. more, for more people to consume. Sure. So, and then that becomes publicized more than the original stuff. So, you know, marketing and publicizing and, and make, you, you know, you keep Trump, Trump's a great example of what it, I'm, Trump, I, yeah, I'm talking about Trump. Trump's a great example of what people, if you say something long enough and enough times and they know it's a lie and you keep doing it, you, it's not shock factor anymore. If I keep this program, it's like programming, like a commercial. If you see the same commercial every day, eventually you're going to say, if the new iPhone 50, yeah, I'm going to go get it. It's been every day, iPhone 50, iPhone 50, iPhone 50. You go, shit, let me go get an iPhone 50. Right, right. Right. And you don't, and you know, you got the iPhone too, or some people still got Android. They go, man, I just need a phone to talk. Right. Right. So music is that way, you know. If it gets more money, people say, I want to invest in this because I can relate to that. So you got most, most of these white cats with the, the money are trying to make more money, and they go, I want to promote things that I can relate to. I don't want to promote the original stuff. I'd rather just promote. This here, that's a little bit my my what I like, mm -hmm. and I got the money to promote it. And then the people, the original people, don't don't get a, the same opportunity. Fuck, I can say it. I mean, you know, Buddy Guy ain't big as the Stones. Yeah, but Buddy Guy is the reason for Muddy Waters is the reason for the Stones. Right, but and I think the Stones but, would be the first to admit that, like. They no, would, they say that. I mean, they yeah. say that. I'm, I'm, but I'm simply saying, but people don't want to talk about that because, you know, when you start talking about, hey, man, I'm a drummer and I play this way. And then they go get another drummer who can't play as good as me. But they go, well, he's the most he played with the stones or he played with the bones or he played with the ear lobes or whatever. <laughs> and they're got they're big. And they go, yeah, but this guy here is the original guy. And they go, well, that doesn't matter. Well, I hear what you're saying about how, like, whether it's whether it's about drummers or about bands or about entire genres, um, yeah. you know, what is what is promoted the heaviest uh, becomes the most popular, and then what is the most popular is sometimes seen as um, like the best version of that thing or the only version of that thing, right? Another reason I wanted to talk to you is because you've you've uh, done this from a, a, a number of different places. So you mentioned starting out in Chicago, but you've also spent time in Memphis and Texas. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's like a that's a blues trifecta <laughs> right there. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So sure. you know I I, I want to hear about uh, you know the the other artists you've played with in in Memphis and Texas, but I also like I'm I'm fascinated with like the regionality of, of music and especially the regionality of blues. Um, what has been your experience, um, as far as the, the, you know, regional differences or the, the regional characteristics of yeah, the sure. places that you've spent time? Well, for instance, let's talk about Chicago and, uh, and, and we'll go from there. So for instance, Chicago, people say the Chicago shuffle, right? Here we they go. go. Yeah. 
let's 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 play the Chicago Shuffle. And you say, okay, the Chicago Shuffle. Now, before we play the Chicago Shuffle, let me remind you that most of these guys that live in Chicago came from Mississippi. Right. Okay. They came from Mississippi. They were born and raised in Mississippi. Most of these famous blues people. And now they live in Chicago to get away from down there, rural Mississippi, where they can't, you know, be this more progressive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, if I played the shuffle in Mississippi and it gets recorded in Chicago, now you're going to say it's a Chicago shuffle. Mm-hmm. So basically it's just a Mississippi shuffle. Right. But what makes it, what makes it different is it's a, it's heavier because when Muddy Waters came and those guys came, all those guys on the chess records and stuff, they weren't playing with ampl- amplification. They were mostly playing acoustic. Then when Muddy found an amp and made it electric, now instead of the drummer playing, and you got amps going around bass, and the drummer's going. Now that the drums are lost, so now the drummer got to play heavier. Right. So yeah, yeah. that 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 made it more electrifying and more dynamic because he had to play with more volume and more intensity, so the shuffle wouldn't get lost. That's the difference from from what I know about being a drummer in Chicago, where it started. Now, so let me go. let me ask you a question about that real quick. As far as like the amplification and the heaviness of of drums, um, would it would it be fair to say that uh, the the early the early lighter blues drumming that you were talking about was was um, basically a more a more jazz feel, like a more four on the floor, and when it got to the the louder, more electrified stuff, that's when the backbeat got heavier. Yes. The backbeat had to become heavier because it was getting lost from all the amplification. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you got guitar players, bass, and a lot of bands had horn, had a sax player in it. If they didn't have a trumpet player and a sax, they'd have a, everybody was going through the PA except the drums. Then they realized, dang, you got to at least put a damn mic on that kick drum because we can't hear the kick drum. Right, right. Then they said, then the other guy said, you know what? Just put a mic, a mic over the whole drum kit, so you can be amplified. So the drummer is like back there sweating his ass off because he's got to try to be heard. Right, right. So, so that was, so that was like the first time the emphasis on the drums being as strong as the electric. You know, once it became electrified, so that was just a stronger shuffle. Mm-hmm. But then, um, now you go to to Memphis. And, and Chicago was more of a train city. It had trains. So you hear those trains, those CTA trains, those tracks. They thought about being at home out in the field when you heard those trains. Now, then it went from the out in the field to go to Chicago. Now you hear the train coming through around city. So now you got to get that train sound to be more brighter and and, and heavier. Mm -hmm. But it's still the train sound, but it's just got more energy in it. So you go to Memphis. Memphis is more of a soul, soulful 
churchy Mississippi is is more of the Mississippi is still there. The raw, mm-hmm. the rawness, not so much as the written out charted stuff. It's more raw, soul, more gospel. So you got even even when the the, the guys are playing the drums, they're not playing. They weren't playing as hard. They were playing consistent, but more moderate. Mm-hmm. Even like if, even if you listen to the horn players or the the way they play, they play more humming, like humming sounds, like yeah. It's more even the horns are like. Yeah, everything like I'm I'm hearing I'm hearing the music in in what you're singing, especially when it comes to the difference between Memphis and Chicago. Like I th- when I think of Chicago, I think of a rhythm section and a dude just raw, right? Yeah, and, so, and so. Memphis like there in in the, whether it's the blues or the soul or whatever, like Memphis just brings like all kinds of backup vocals, all kinds of horns, all kinds of like arranged harmony. That you're right, like it has a smooth, soulful vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, it's like. And in Chicago, the horns are like a car horn. More staccato, more, more louder, and more energized. Right. And the horn players are playing like James. Now, I'm talking about James Brown and bluesy stuff. So now let's go down from Memphis. Let's go down to North, North, New Orleans. Let's go down to New Orleans. New Orleans. <laughs> now, New Orleans got that Creole thing happening, and it's syncopated. And it's it's like Africa, and it's a mixture of of uh, islands, Africa, mm-hmm. white, French. It's like a gumbo, like the food they make, the gumbo. Right. So the drums aren't just consistent, like uh, blues drumming, like Chicago, Mississippi, Texas, or whatever. It's not. It's not consistent. More like. So you got some jazz mixed in with some uh, uh, the Congo Square drumming with Africano in it, right? And uh, there's a American Cuban, mix. there's a Cuban clave in there somewhere with yeah, a tumbao yeah. and like, you know, well, you don't hear the clave and all of that. You just hear the bass drum. It's like when they do the second line. It's like you 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 celebrate. On the way to bur- to the burial grounds, you know, when they have the funeral, you got the march to and going to the graveyard. I'm so sad. We gonna miss it. Now, when you after you put them in the ground, now we got to celebrate the life they live. You know, now it's like party time, and you got to got that syncopation going. Yeah, yeah, and it's a different okay. it's a different backbeat too. It took me a while to figure out that like the heaviest beat in a second line groove is the end of four. Like you hear that heavy bass drum beat, and and to an untrained ear, like you want that to be one. But it's actually like the and of four, like you just sang it, like one right. and two and three and four and one. But see, and. But see, but see now, see the way you just analyze it technically like that. 
that don't mean shit. You play it. I know that that's because, the that's the school I come from. He, you know that like the reading individual music. That, each individual that plays second line is like each person that makes gumbo. He might put more shrimp or more chicken or more uh, crab or more lobster or whatever. In. <laughs> he might put a little more okra here, a little bit. So everybody got their own flavor. Mm-hmm. They still got the ingredient, but they got their own personal little taste. Right, right. And you can't can't write a feeling. You can't write now a feeling. Right. Yeah. Either you got it or you don't. Mm-hmm. That's where you can analyze it and try to. But then you go analyze. Okay, if a uh, uh, one drummer play it, same song, you write that down. You you say, okay, I got it. I written that. The next one come in, he he ain't playing. He almost no, it's different. See, because <laughs> that's where the individuality come in. Right. So you go to Texas, and uh, you got T Bone Walker and all these black guys. They they come out of the church, the black the black gospel church down in Texas and a lot of places, the reverend, the preachers, a lot of the preachers played guitar hmm. in church. It might be some sanctified stuff going on. They might have a guy playing a bass drum and all the ladies and, and people got tambourines with a head on it. Right. Well, Oh, they play that tambourine, boy, like smack the hell out of you. Yeah, yeah. And then you got the preacher going, a ding a ling a ling little oh my my lord, got the sanctified feeling going. And then the drum, then guitar players playing all these counter licks, upbeat, and then when they play the blues, now a gene uh uh walker. First guy to be show showboating with the guitar behind his net. He could play. He could do splits. <laughs> you ever see T. Walker? Yeah. He could do splits like a cheerleader. Right. He could lift up like James Brown. Come up and play the guitar, and then he playing it sideways. So now you got he's his blues. So now the drummer. And people say that's a Texas shuffle. Mm-hmm. I say that Texas shuffle is a lot. It's from Texas, but yeah, you you can name it a Texas shuffle, but it's like a backbeat shuffle. Instead of going cha 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 cha, it's going cha 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 Because the guitar player is going He's playing the chord and the rhythm. Right, strong upbeat. So before he played the downbeat, he put the emphasis on the upbeat. So the drummer, and he still got a swing. So the that's a shuffle. I call it a backbeat shuffle. So did you, sorry, you had something else? No, no. Go okay. Ahead. So as you went through your career and are going through all these different cities and all these different artists, is this stuff that you had to learn along the way? Did somebody tip you off? Were you listening to records and you said, okay, now I'm playing with a Texas guy. I need to play this Texas shuffle. Um, or was it more sort of on the job? <laughs> Don't play that shit. Oh, it was like, hey man, you ain't playing this shit right now. <laughs> what do you mean, man? What difference does it make? It makes a lot of difference, dude. You do that again, I'm gonna pull my knife out. I'm gonna show you. 
a matter of fact, let me put some bullets in my pistol right now just for your ass since you think I'm playing around. <laughs> so like when it when it came to those when it came to those different regional um styles, uh like in who 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 do you associate with those styles? Like is there a particular Memphis artist that that you feel you really like got it with or a particular Texas artist that Well, Bobby Blue Bland, you know, he was he was down in Texas recording his stuff. But Bobby Blue Bland was the the he was a blues singing he he had soul blues singing soul smooth he was like butter mm-hmm. like maple syrup blue was just <laughs> blue blue was blues was like if that butter get on you gonna have a stain on your shirt he don't, <laughs> he, he he was just. He wasn't boom like a knockout punch. He was more like a hypnotic, put you in a trance and then knock the shit out of you. Yeah, yeah, Yolanda. Yeah, yeah. So Blue was he liked this shuffle because Jabo Starks, who was from Mobile, Alabama, was still down south with the sanctified church thing because black people, everything came from church. The the the, the church is where it all came from. Except, you know, just like Ray Charles, he would take a church vibe and then sing about baby I, you know, do uh hit the road jack or something. He's doing gospel music and you know, black people was like, Hey man, you shouldn't be doing mixing up gospel with no, you know, secular stuff, you know, talking mm-hmm. about women with gospel with gospel music. What you doing? Instead of saying, Oh Lord, he's saying, Oh baby. Mm-hmm. Black people don't play that stuff when it because that's because that was like you know sacred area right there. That's what we need to to lift ourselves from all this oppression you get we've been getting. And now you're singing about the sexual stuff with the gospel. So it was like you know that's why they say the devil and all that nonsense you know about right. the crossroad dude selling his soul to the devil and all that shit. Right. Uh, but drumming, you know, Jabo Starks was from down there where drummers played that syncopated church backbeat syncopation. So when Bobby Blue Bland was singing Turn On Your Love, like... You know... Uh, uh, don't cry no more. So he's playing a mix of gospel and New Orleans with that, what you was talking about that. Boom, boom. Yeah. And it's similar. Man, <laughs> well, it's cool and how I you see- connected. It, like, it, it seems to me that you connected all of those different uh, regional blues with um, the the regional church traditions that they came from. Because church traditions yeah. are different from region to region, and that informed yeah. what became the the blues and soul and gospel of that region. Right. So, what happens? So, what happens when a lot of people? 
And and I and I have to say this again because people start saying Tony's a racist if I start talking about how white musicians play. This ain't got nothing to do with being a racist. It's racial because we're different races. It's culture. It's different culture. So I mean, I get I get pissed off when people go, "Wow, why is Tony so racist?" I'm just telling you the facts. It ain't racist. This is the factsist. This is the truthist. <laughs> so uh, if white cats come and hear that and go, "Oh, I fucking love that," and they say, "Let's play it." And then they're fucking going. Instead of what I just described, instead of playing like Jabbo, they might have the kick. Mm, 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 mm. And, and, and instead of the syncopation, ding, 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 Because they don't have that rhythm to make it more syncopated than the snare instead of going. They just go, bap, bap, king, bap, bing, bap. Now, you just lost the ingredients. I can fake jazz real good. I can fake. I'm pretty good at faking it. But I know in my heart and soul, I'm not interested in playing it because it's just not my thing. I mean, I, 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 I it, it's not who I am, but I, if I had to do a jazz gig, it'd be hard. It would be like having an abscess tooth and drinking something cold. <laughs> and they touch touching. I go like, ow, <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not me. It's not who I am, but I can do it. Mm-hmm. But not as good as somebody that's really into it. Cause I'm not interested in it. it just doesn't touch my soul. But uh, we used to do the jazz festivals over in Europe and BB would be there and a lot of different blues cats and Dizzy Gillespie and Art Blakey and Miles Davis and, and uh, Celia Cruz and Tito Puente and all these great jazz musicians and uh, Freddie Hubbard and everybody. And so they'd have these jam sessions after the festival during the, during the night at the hotel bar and be jamming. And I'd just sit back at the bar and just watch. And they'd be doing some heavy jazz shit, you know. <laughs> It's like, God damn, man, when do they ever stop? <laughs> and then everybody's doing that thing. So then the jazz was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jack DeJanette and all that stuff. You know, they're playing the jazz. So I just watch it. I go, that's great. Boy, those guys are good. So one day Diz, Diz Gillespie came up to me and Diz said, hey, BB Drama. He didn't know my name, BB Drama. <laughs> Diz, when you gonna play? I always see you sitting up here at the bar. When you gonna go and play? I said, man, I don't, I can't play jazz. Yet. What do you mean? I said, I, I can't play jazz. Bullshit, you can't play jazz. Have you tried? I said, no. There's no point, man. I'm not. I can't do all that. You can do it. That's bullshit. How you gonna say you can do something you ain't even tried it? Well, tonight you gonna come up and play tonight. I'm gonna call you up there. You gonna play? I said. Man, don't do that, man. I was very- <laughs> he said, let's go. So there's a chair by the stage. So the guy's playing, and he sit down, and then he goes up, and he's playing. Playing the jazz. Then he said, come on up. And, he get, he, and I'm like, no, no, no. He stops the drum and says, hey, get up for a minute. <laughs> get up. So they're doing all that heavy avant-garde shit. You know what they do. And 
And the other guys on stage are looking like, damn, man, what that guy doing? I'm back there. <laughs> <laughs> so they say, hold it, hold it. PB Drummer, you know that's Art Blakey. You play like Art. Shuffle. Give me a shuffle. That's play, Just hold that shuffle like Art do. That's like what you play with BB. Just give me a shuffle beat. One, two, three. This shit was in the pocket. Yep. And they were like, yeah, yeah. All right, go. yeah. Now, see, so he said, then I went back to the bar. He said, see there, you did it. You did it. I, said, <laughs> I, I didn't do like that. He said, I, I wasn't swinging. I said, I wasn't swinging like that. And then, then one of the other guys said, no, you was dangling, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you weren't swinging. You was dangling, but you played shuffle. You can do it. Yeah. So my my point is, you know, if you're going to do something, like I said, you got to learn the, you, you, you got to be around the people that do that. Mm-hmm. You got to watch. They got to show you. You got to listen. And you got to try to do it and want to do it. If you don't want to do it, you're not going to do it. Right. So I played in a reggae band, the same situation. The guitar player was from Trinidad. He said his name was uh, Clarence. He called me Drummy. He said, Drummy, man, you're good fucking drummer, man. You play your ass off, Drummy. You're so good, man. You're bad like Snake. You're bad like... You, you strike good. But Drummy, your reggae suck, man. Oh, God. <laughs> no good. <laughs> oh, he man. said, I go, but I going to teach you. I going to show you. You come by the house, I'm going to chop up a little something, little something to eat and a little, have a little rum. And we listen. But so basically, he showed me how to play. I was playing reg bar Marley stuff like a shuffle. See, I just played that. I, I didn't put in the right ingredients. That's not how the drummer played a hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He showed me how to play. Yeah, man, you got it, man. You got it. You good. It's good. Yes, it's good. But <laughs> before I could do that, he had to teach me. I had to go listen to reggae drummers. I go watch. I ask questions. I watch them. I eat with them. I drink rum. I hang out with reggae people to develop to get the to get it to it'll to acquire the knowledge. Yeah. When they scam, when they said you got it, now nah, I got it. Right. So you're reminding so something. All the people- my my mentor uh, in in grad school in Kansas City was a, a guy named Doug Allwater who um, has just been a lifelong student of Brazilian music and Brazilian drumming, and he told me you are you are never going to be good at any style of music that you don't love. Like you can mm-hmm. learn the style, you can learn the grooves, but if you don't love that style, um, it's it's not really going to happen because when you love a style, when you love a particular style of music, you're going to be more likely, to, and this is like I'm realizing to your point, you're going to be more likely to 
um, not just study the music, but like immerse yourself in the culture that that style comes from. That's what I'm saying. Learn, learn from the practitioners of that style who are part of that culture. You know, no matter what color you are, no matter what color they are. What I'm saying. If you understand the culture a style comes from, that's when you can truly play the style. Did you understand me just? Say what? Did you understand? I just told you that. Yes. Yes. Okay. You just uh, uh, confirming. Yes. <laughs> Affirming. That he and I, same thing. Definitely. I, 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 when I, when I left BB, when BB, when I stopped playing with BB, the last gig before uh, BB died, I, I got hooked up with Jamie Johnson, a country artist, and uh, Willie Nelson introduced me to Jamie, and uh, and uh, after I left the bus, before I left J- Willie's bus, I said goodbye. I had to go do a gig. I said, hey, Jamie, if you ever need a drummer, give me a call. I was just fucking with him. You know, I wasn't really, I was just throwing it at him. He said, give me your number. <laughs> so I gave Jamie my number about four days later. Jamie called me and offered me to do a gig. And I said, Jamie, I don't know you. I don't know your music, but uh, I'd like to play with you. He said, well, we need a drummer. And uh, I said, well, when are you leaving? He said, tomorrow night. <laughs> I said, well... I don't, I don't know you, man, and your music. When are we going to get a chance to rehearse? He said, look, you play with B.B. King and you know Willie Nelson, you'll be all right. <laughs> and uh, I went up there and I was sucking bad. I, I mean, but the people didn't really know and they were having a good time. And I said, Jamie, I'm sorry. I was messy. He said, did you play with me before? He said, what are you being sorry for? He said, I couldn't come on B.B.'s gig and play. He said, you did great. But then... We were going to do a uh, um, Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard had a, a tour and then Mr. Haggard got sick and Jamie was going to replace him on some of the dates until he got better. The first day of the show that morning, Mr. Haggard passed. So Jamie said, everything I do on this tour is going to be Merle's music. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> now, Man. I knew maybe three or four Merle songs, I knew, you know, like, I'm an Okie from Muskogee, uh, uh, right. you, you know. Right. Uh, that's the fighting side of me. You know, I knew some of his main stuff, but then Jamie was, like, doing some of his classics, and and these things had, like, waltz feels and country shuffle feels, yeah, and I was up there. Train beats uh, and all kinds of shit. Yeah, it, it was, and I was just, I was just fucking it all up. <laughs> I was messing up, and, uh, and then a couple of times, Jamie turned around and said, Tony Cole, man, just sit this one out. And I'd be up on stage like, fuck. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's the kiss of death, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm like, man, this is fucked up. So I told Jamie, I said, Jamie, you know, you need to get you a country drummer that knows those classics because I could learn anything if I play it in advance and rehearse, but. Sometimes you get impromptu, and you know, like I said, you just want to play for the house. Here's a here's a Merle song, and I don't know the shit. I say it's not fair to you, the audience, or me to be doing that. He said, "Well, I guess you're right." He said, "You do, you did look like you were trying to solve a math project." <laughs> <laughs> so then, then he asked me. He said, "You know what, Tony Cole, man, I really like you being in the band. How about playing percussion?" I was like percussion what is this country santana what the hell are you talking about <laughs> so he said 
I, he said, I actually play bugle in a drum and bugle, and I play horn, you know. And I like two drummers, and occasionally I would have a percussionist and a drummer, and they would switch off. I said, okay. So I got percussion, and then I was trying to figure it out. And, and then when there was, like, really, really, really slow, droopy drawers, country that didn't require anything, I said, well, you want me to play on there? James said, hell, I don't know. You're the percussionist. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to be a country percussionist. I'm a concussionist. <laughs> and then Jamie said, hell, if you ain't got nothing to play, just go have a beer or something. Right. I, I was going to say, that's that's beer time. That's beer o'clock <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> when the, when the but, country uh, ballad uh, comes up. But what I did was, once again, I went to every country bar in Nashville. I mean, I walk in there, I'd be, only, I'd be the only black thing in there, me. Mm-hmm. And some of the people just look at me like, oh, there's a black dude that's like country. I'm like, yeah, give me a beer. <laughs> I, I meet the drummers, the band the members. They go, hey, man, BB's drummer. Oh, yeah, cool. And uh, I said, yeah, man, tell me about playing country. I started listening to country music. I started asking questions. Same thing as with the reggae situation. Things, same thing as with Diz. Right. Got to get in there, man. You know, I didn't put on no cowboy uh, uh, boots and no hats and no chaps. I was still me, but I, I was listening and trying to learn. So, but until one of those guys give you the thumbs up, like I said, <laughs> that's when you get. But until that happens, you ain't got it. Yeah. Until. Until the person that does it, lives it, and it's their culture tell you you got it, you ain't got it. Yeah, yeah. Until they not, you are now in. But whether whether it's the reggae or the country or or anything else you've tackled, like as as you were talking about this, I'm I'm realizing how ubiquitous the shuffle is um, in all types of different styles. And like you were describing, yeah. you know, you got to emphasize different things for different shuffles. You got to add stuff. You got to take stuff away. But I yes. think the fact, the fact that you were so steeped in shuffle, um, you know, for your entire career, uh, made that like you could, you could, you could see what overlapped with the reggae and you could see what overlapped with country. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's applicable, uh, you know, not just with the shuffle, but with, with a bunch of different styles. Like I try to tell my students, you know, there's, you know, when, when you hear two different songs from two different genres and two different eras, um, chances are the drumming in those two songs has a lot more in common than it does. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot in common there and don't think of it as like two different types of drumming because the things that, that overlap between those, um, are really, uh, you know, it, it happens all the time. Yeah. Yes. So the same thing with metal drumming or whatever. I mean, you know, with BB, we've shared stages with Metallica and <laughs> Red Hot Chili. And, uh, you know, and then what's so funny is p- people are guilty of being like, when you say stuff like what I just said to you, people go, BB King with Metallica. Yeah. BB King with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. So see, in Europe, when they have festivals, we'll play the North Sea Jazz Festival, and they have one, two, three stages side by side in the arena. So when when, when one band's playing, the other band's setup is already on there. So you might have Paul Simon playing 
Me and Julio down by the schoolyard. And you got Paul Simon up there doing his shit. Then Larry Graham, Graham Central Station, come on and play. Then B.B. King come on and play. Mm-hmm. Then Ziggy Marley come on and play. Then uh, Willie Nelson band play. That's how they do in Europe. Yep. All the people are watching the same type of uh, concert with different types of uh, music. Yep. But here in America, Americans, we just tight ass about stuff. We too damn tight ass. Yep. And that's not my opinion. I say, I, yes, all Americans, we are too tight ass when it comes to diversity and culture because you want to just play to the group that you like and the group that you you don't want to mix it up like take advantage of the versatility that we have that's how humanity comes together and realize oh that's cool too yep now we're just gonna do the country country festival no the blues blues festival, rock, rock festival. <laughs> you know we go in the hotel and it's the damn uh, uh judas priest is in the lobby and the guy walks up with spiked hair and 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 uh, uh, Spike Ritz wristbands. Oh, you BB King? Where Judas Priest love BB King? And then I go see Judas Priest. Yeah. And then everybody went to that concert to see those guys. I'm like, yeah, man. So me, I love music. I love different types of music, different types of people, different types of culture. Uh, you know. You but, reminded uh, me of, uh, I, I played at the, uh, the Vienne festival in France when I was in college and on the main yeah. stage on one night on the main stage at the Vienne festival, they had a, a Brazilian artist whose name I cannot remember, but he was just huge and amazing. And then after him was mighty Mo and the blues Avengers from Chicago. And then after them was Modesky Martin and wood in one night and 20,000 right. people were just like all about it for five hours you know and that was my first lesson like i was 20 or something and that was the first time i'd been to europe and and it was my first lesson in exactly what you said like americans are doing it wrong like europe just saw three different kinds of music that couldn't be more different and they just loved it all they viewed it as all part of the same thing and everybody's like 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 i say black folks are black people no matter how you treat us and we piss us off but we're, we're but we're inviting. I mean, come on in, have, have some food, have some dance. Mm-hmm. Come on, that's our culture. Mm-hmm. That's how we are. But we we will kick your ass too. You know that. <laughs> yeah, and I think you had the same experience. Like at, you going into the country bars in Nashville, it's like, oh, you're here. Okay, well, come on in, grab a beer. Yeah, I didn't have no problems with anybody out there with Jamie. You know, I saw some stars in bars. I went in a couple of the bathrooms and some of those those uh, honky tonks. It's got nigger this and all, all kind of little racist stuff. But then when I go out there around the people, they never said it to me mm-hmm. because I wasn't intimidated by it. I was like, I ain't having that. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I, we did the Country 500 Festival in Daytona Beach. It's called the Country 500 Festival. I'm the blackest thing out there is me, other than the tires on the buses. <laughs> so I'm on stage playing percussion with Jamie. Jamie got a big band, got drummer over here to my left and me on percussion. Jamie's in the middle, got the bass player over there, got a guitarist and a keyboard player and got three horns over here beside me, got a guitar player and a a steel player and a female vocalist. And and Jamie's singing and Jamie's ex-military. Jamie used to be in the Marines. I used to be in the Army. And Jamie's from Montgomery, Alabama. And I tell people, Jamie Johnson, is a 
funky as a chicken coop. And me, I'm I'm I, I say he's he's fun. I'm funky as a chicken coop, and he's he's uh, the opposite. He's country as a chicken coop. <laughs> so anyway, Jamie's from Montgomery, Alabama. Jamie's southern boy. Jamie grew up around in Mon- um, you know he knows about the civil rights stuff out of Alabama. His dad's taught him all that. Anyway, Jamie's singing. Of all the th- songs Jamie was singing. This land is your land. This land is my land. And, I, and Jamie's got his eyes closed singing. And this guy comes right in front of me with a big, huge Confederate flag and was waving it. And he was looking at me smiling. Wow. At least I took it that way. Maybe I, he, he, I was looking at him. He was smiling. I wasn't. Right. So I got off the rise and I went over to the side of the stage. I was like, man, fuck that. I'm not going to be up here with him waving that shit, Confederate shit. You know, look, I know, I know we got a bunch of race, a few racist people out here, but this is about the music. I don't give a rat's ass. Look, just respect me. Don't mm-hmm. mess with me. So I went over there on the side and everybody was looking like, oh shit, Tony Cole, man, don't look too happy. Then I looked to my right, I saw a guy with an American flag. Well, I said, hey, security, tell that guy I want to use that flag. I want to use his flag. He go get him for me. He got the guy. The guy said, you want me to come up there with you? I said, no, I just, I'll give you a flag back. <laughs> I went behind Jamie's left shoulder. Jamie's singing, this land is your land. And then I raised the flag up behind Jamie, and I pointed at the guy with the Confederate flag. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> and I pointed at Fuck that flag. And Jamie's band was looking at me like, oh, shit. Right, right. Jamie, I know they was, I know a couple of them was probably thinking, man, this nigga gonna get us killed. <laughs> I didn't care. Right. I, if Jamie wanted to fire me after that, I was ready to be fired. But I, my integrity is like, fuck y'all. If y'all gonna do, if you're gonna take me around this shit, I'm, I'm gonna be on stage. I'm gonna show you I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck you. And I was raising the flag. I was kissing the flag, raised. Then all of a sudden, 20,000 rednecks, that's what they call themselves, rednecks. I'm not being racist or nothing. That's like a term of endearment, rednecks. We're rednecks. And rednecks are going, USA, <laughs> USA. Look, saw what was happening. Saw them wrestling with the guy with the Confederate flag. And, and I got the flag and the whole say USA. And then uh, Jamie looked at me, turned around, reached for the flag. Then he grabbed it and put it up in there. Then he handed it back to me. Then I went duct taped it to my cymbal stand on the percussion set. Kept playing. <laughs> Jamie left, got on his plane, was flying back to Nashville. They said, there's Jamie headed back to Nashville. And then my phone went beep. And Jamie texted me, said, TC, that was right on time, what you did, and the right time to do it. And I love you for your service. Thank you for your service. I said, thank you, brother. I love you, too. And we never talked about it again. And I was out there with Jamie for two and a half years. Wow. That's a hell of a story. But, what year was that? But the point, uh, well, that was about four years ago. Mm-hmm. But the point I'm making is everything is relevant when it comes to the uh, music of being uh, inclusive and not exclusive. Just be, treat 
my whole thing, when people get mad about, man, we don't want to talk about politics, just like shut up and play. Play your drums. Just play the drums and shut up talking about politics. How the hell am I going to shut up about something that's affecting me in my life? Yeah, yeah. You think, I'm like, I'm just supposed to just play drums and don't have a life about nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm American, too. And then, you know, so you got black people saying, man, fuck all of that. Don't vote us. Man, the hell with the president, hell with the Republicans, hell with the Democrats. Then you got white people. Wow, you're being a racist too. You're like, that's like reverse racism. What the fuck are you talking about, reverse racism? Yeah. It's like, why is everyone being dismissive of, of each other? My whole thing is, I care about you. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to do good. Do you care about me? You want do you worry about if, if I'm okay? I want you to be okay. I don't want to be what I want to be in if it's gonna hurt you mm-hmm. or disrespect. I respect you. I respect you. I don't re- respect people that want to do things to make others feel bad. That's not good. Mm-hmm. What is it so hard to have that concept? Respect you. And that's what I learned with music and playing drums. I've been in Morocco, play with anywhere I go around the world. I've been to 98 countries around the world, and I would make friends with musicians that I can't even speak the language, but we, we, the humanity in us can relate. When I look at you, I see another brother. You're a little light on the sun side. I'm a little dark. <laughs> right, right. No, but you know, but seriously, man, I, that, that, time out for that shit, man. Music is about connecting our souls and our spirits in a positive manner because I like to have fun. I like to play music. I like to play drums. <laughs> and have fun man that's what i'm like shaman that's what my energy is supposed to make people feel good i'm supposed to lift people up with my dream right and and there's there's a lesson in you know the whole like shut up and play or shut up and dribble mentality like whether you play drums or basketball or whatever you do like that is your way of relating to people right and, and yeah. if you can apply the way that you relate to people in, in that context to the way you relate to people just in everyday life in society, um, I think that's what that's what you're getting at. Yeah. You know, so, you know, music is supposed to be more more about humanity other than about baby, your ass look good. I'm a blues man. Let me sing about drinking some whiskey and getting high. Right. I mean, music be about some some uh, things to, to bring humanity together through our music, yeah. through our art. It's not supposed to be di- di- divisive and bullshit. And then people go, you know, so I can always tell when somebody's a, a total asshole, like if they do something wrong, they'll find an excuse for it. Mm-hmm. Like you say, hey, man, don't you see that those cops? Five white cops just choked the shit out of that man, killed him. Well, maybe he was a criminal. What? Right. Right. The fuck is that? It's if unreal. I took one of my if I took one of my dogs and was walking down the street and beat him upside the head, every car on the street would pull over and kill my ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you make an excuse for another human being killing another human being. So so you know, that's I'm very political now with my drumming. My drumming, I'm I'm gonna send messages out of peace and unity and stop the bullshit, you know. Somebody say Black Lives Matter. Now you're going to come up with Blue Lives Matter. Right. It's just being dismissive of of a problem. It's like, okay, if you got a car and your tires are wobbling, don't you want to fix the tires? Right. So I can roll better. Right. So if we got problems, 
don't we want to say, hey, before we start being mad about it, let's fix the problem right. together. Right. We don't say the whole car matters. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> oh, we're dealing with cars right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, well, you know, the restaurant had the, the toilets weren't working in the restaurant. What are you talking about? We're talking about this. Mm hmm. Yeah. Evasive dismissiveness. Man, let's keep it real. Music is real. It's about love and peace and soul and harmony. You know, you can't play music in the wrong key together. You got to get in key. Let's get in key together. Let's do it. I think that's a good, that's a good way to end up here. Uh, Tony, it was great talking to you, man. Thank you for taking the time. Um, and uh, just really, really appreciate everything you've done and everything you had to teach us today. Thank you. And uh, play those shuffles right, or I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I'm trying. Tie you up, or I'm gonna tie you up next to a, a, a jukebox in down in Mississippi and play some blues and post some hot, some hot barbecue sauce on you. <laughs> That would that would whip me up into shape in a hurry. I almost yeah. I almost welcome it. Um, cool. Okay. Thanks again, Tony. Good talking to you. All right, Zach. And any and any anybody that don't agree with me, kiss my entire. Okay, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna leave that in. I'm gonna leave that in there. <laughs> okay. All right. See cheers, you. Tony. Thanks. See you. Yeah, man. I told you stories, history opinions thanks to tony for that talk he is certainly one of a kind i learned a lot i hope you did too next week matthew kraus will be talking with miles mcpherson who has played with paramore and kelly clarkson is now doing full-time session work in nashville and was voted acm drummer of the year in 2017 hope you check that out and until then stay safe stay sane and thanks for listening cheers cheers